If you would read earlier in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, uh, that was our Old Testament lesson today, you would read in horror over all the ways that King Ahaz threw out, just threw out the worship of the true God in ancient Judah, chaotically and with evil intent. He just destroyed the artifacts in the temple. He defiled the priesthood. He ceased the, the offering of burnt incense to God, and he halted the offerings in worship to God. Ahaz's reign lasted only for 16 years. But in that time, Ahaz had defiled the temple, obliterated the worship of the true God. He had seen the, the, the gods of the Assyrians, and he liked the glamour and the prestige of them. And so he built an altar at Jerusalem, the holy city, to those gods. And he fixed shut the doors to the temple of the true God. And, and as he fixed them shut, he broke them in the process. The country was to worship his God and have nothing to do with the true God. They were to obey and conform to his chaotic and dangerous theology. It was all about him. He was the king of the church. When he died at the age of 36, his son Hezekiah took over. Hezekiah was 25. You can do the math and imagine what kind of person Ahaz was even as a boy. But Hezekiah was not like his father. Young Hezekiah, in the first week of the first month of his reign, again broke open the doors to the temple and he fixed them open. He called the priests and the Levites together and he initiated what is known as Hezekiah's reform or Hezekiah's reformation. In 16 days, they were able to restore the temple. In fact, the way the Hebrew text records it, they restored it to its former glory and then some. In fact, as I read the Old Testament lesson and the list of people who worked on its restoration and all the items they purified, you probably droned out, right? All those, all those names, all those lists of things that they did. But notice, embedded in that, in that careful order is a verbal cleansing. It's the opposite of the thoughtless and dangerous ways of Ahaz. The work of reformation was careful and meticulous. The priests did work proper for priests. The Levites did work for proper for Levites. Everything was recovered from their places of defilement, neglect, and misuse, and put back to their proper and useful places. It was a necessary and thorough reformation. This attention to detail uh, ritual may seem quite foreign to us who live in this uh, anything-goes-you-do-you atmosphere of 21st century America. And certainly we know we have freedom in Christ, but, but it's that attitude that nothing is really sacred, that nothing really matters except your uh, personal interests and your tastes that is at the heart of the devil's attempts to throw the church of God into chaos and disorder. Ultimately, the devil wants us to treat God's word as nothing special and certainly not sacred. Instead, he wants us to treat our own desires and interests as more sacred 
than God's word. He wants each of us to listen to ourselves and not unite around God's word. Please turn to hymn 204. This hymn, written in 1527, was a commentary on the Lutheran Reformation, which had begun only 10 years prior in 1517. Uh, notice it uses the phrase in verse 1, your word was long a hidden treasure. This phrase is straight from 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 34. King Hezekiah's reform didn't last long. The next two kings, Manasseh and Ammon, in fact, threw out everything Hezekiah had done. It took another king, again, Josiah, to reform the church once again. He again had to cope with sin and false teachers. It was during his reformation that they, that they actually literally found God's word, the Bible, the Torah, which had been lost and forgotten in a closet. It was hidden in a closet. May we never forget the treasure that is God's word. We sing verse 1 of hymn 204. Two years ago, we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the posting of the 95 Theses against John Tetzel. It's usually regarded as the start of the Reformation, but it wasn't for another two years that much happened. It was in 1519, 500 years ago this year, that the popularity of the Reformation soared and the biblical idea of sola scriptura, that our teachings are founded on the treasure of God's word alone, that it once again spread like wildfire to the common people. What did it was something called the Leipzig debate. And you're probably like, oh, a debate. Time to take a nap now. But to the people in 1519, this was like the Super Bowl, the presidential debate, and Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade all rolled into one. Uh, and while it may not have had the, the giant balloons, it did have the giant egos to go along with it, at least one. Luther was to debate against a man named Johann Eck. Eck was an abusive debater. Eck's ego was such that it, it, it wasn't enough for him 
uh, to be a brilliant and accomplished debater. He had to let everyone know he was a brilliant and accomplished debater so that you could tell him how brilliant and accomplished he was. And so he would look for, rather, he would create opportunities for him to show off his skills. Well, Eck found Luther's 95 Theses, and he decided to pick a fight. Not because he was concerned about truth, not because he was concerned about scripture, but because he was concerned about Eck. It was all about him. Eck taunted Luther until the debate finally happened in Leipzig, and it didn't start well. Luther wasn't even going to be allowed to speak. Instead, a mentor of his, Karlstadt, was going to do all the debating. And as they were coming into town, uh, and just imagine this, the wheel fell off of Karlstadt's wagon, and he went flying into the mud face first. Uh, just imagine if you were watching uh, the presidential debate, and, and that happened right before the debate. Uh, you wouldn't trust uh, whoever it was it happened to anymore. And to make it worse, Karlstadt had a poor memory intended to, to get a temper, uh, during it, and Eck, however, was witty and quick. But one thing Karlstadt did was demand that notaries, that, that, that secretaries, write the whole thing down. And finally, Luther was allowed to debate. The debate was to be about the authority of the Pope, who has the final authority in the church. And Eck argued grandly and, and freely from his own wit and from church writings and tradition to show how the Pope was the king of the church on earth. But Luther <clears throat> began to carefully and simply pick apart all of Eck's arguments by showing how Eck had misquoted, misunderstood, or misused both scripture and the church fathers. He showed from Ephesians 4 and 1 Corinthians 3 how Christ alone was the head of the church. He showed how in the, the context of Matthew 16 that scripture made Peter's confession of Christ to be the rock on which the church was founded and not on Peter himself. Basically, Luther demonstrated that scripture alone be used to interpret scripture. And so scripture alone became one of the founding principles of the Lutheran Reformation and the Lutheran Church. Even though Eck's grand debate style would make it appear that he won, Luther's calm and careful and simple way of, of speaking from Scripture and letting Scripture speak for itself convinced those at the debate. And because the whole thing was written down carefully and meticulously, God's word alone won over the common people of Germany. In fact, the notary, the secretary that was working for Eck, became so convinced by scripture, uh, well, the scripture that Luther was speaking, that he actually quit working for Eck, and he eventually became a Lutheran pastor. His name was Johann Grammen. Please open up to him 257. And uh, please note the, the writer of that hymn, 257. We're going to sing verse 1, and I want you to look at the last phrase. Last phrase of verse 1. Who leaves no sufferer friendless, but rights the wronged at last. The defenders of God's word, of Scripture alone, 
will always be made to suffer. We may be abused uh, verbally and physically, but God will not leave us friendless. God rights the wrongs at last. Just as he did with Hezekiah, Josiah, Luther, and even Graman the scribe, God will do for you and me. We sing verse 1 of hymn 257. The Leipzig debate put a target on Luther's back, and a few years later, the Pope, Leo X, excommunicated Luther. He was then summoned to appear at the Diet of Worms, uh, not a, it's not a meal of eating worms, but it's a, it's a conference where they debate theology, and he was asked to recant or to, to take back his writings. And Luther famously said that unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience would be neither right nor safe. God help me, here I stand, I could do no other. Luther was declared an outlaw and a heretic, and like other heretics, he should be burned at the stake. Instead, with the help of some friends, Luther went into hiding at the Wartburg Castle. And it was there, fearing for his life, that Luther took comfort in Scripture alone, especially in the words of Psalm 46, which you sang earlier. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And he wrote a hymn about it. We sing verse 4 now of Luther's paraphrase of Psalm 46, using the words printed from the old Lutheran hymnal. Uh, it's printed for you on your sheet. Verse 4 of A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And we're going to sing it uh, a little bit quieter than we normally do, uh, or at least the, the, the accompaniment is going to be a little bit quieter. Uh, Luther uh, probably didn't intend this to be 
the, the loud uh, and, and trumpet-filled uh, song that we usually make it to be, which is great. Uh, Luther probably intended this to be a quiet meditation uh, on the words of Psalm 46. And so that's the way we'll sing it here. It's a bizarre irony that had Ahaz not been a selfish adulterer, Hezekiah would have no need to reform the ancient Jewish church. Had John Tetzel, Pope Leo X, and John Eck all been kind-hearted, caring individuals, charitable men who, who valued the golden rule above all else, the Reformation would have stopped before the end of 1517. But Tetzel was greedy, Leo was arrogant, and Eck was narcissistic. And while some may be driven away from the church when faced with the realization that people are sinful, even in the church, it drove Luther and eventually the rest of Europe, and 461 years later, the founders of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, further into scripture alone. In short, God uses human greed, arrogance, and narcissism to promote truth and the gospel. God is not the cause of evil, but God does work through evil to accomplish good. The last hymn on your sheet is from the hymn, The World is Very Evil. Uh, we know this better uh, as it's in our hymnal as Jerusalem the Golden, and actually that's that's the seventh verse of the hymn. Um, but you'll see on the fourth verse, there, the, the, the first one there, uh, a phrase, the last line, with Babylon must cope. Babylon is shorthand for the country that persecuted God's people in the Old Testament. The reformers referred to Rome as a new Babylon. And we are still persecuted by a Babylon today. It's a poetic reminder that the church militant is always going to struggle with sin. And not only the sin, the, the, the sin of gross evil outside, out in the world, but also sin in the church. We are forced to contend with heresy and false teachers who put themselves above scripture alone. But we don't struggle alone. 
because it's not our church, it's Jesus' church. And if Jesus will not allow the gates of hell to prevail against his church, much less will he let false teachers. Indeed, he is able to use their sin for our good. And while we still struggle, our Lord has promised to bless us in our struggles, to comfort us in our struggles, and finally to grant us victory in our struggles. The true victory of all saints in the sweet and blessed country of his church triumphant. We sing our, our last hymn.